Welcome, everyone, to the George Sanders Show. It's uh, MLK week here. Uh, the holiday was a few days ago, and we're talking about the new film Selma uh, from director Ava DuVernay, um, which is, you know, an Oscar nominee this year, and we're going to have an Oscar show later, so it's good to get these under our belt now. Um, and tying in with that, um, Malcolm X from 1992, directed by Spike Lee, um, Spike Lee is going to be our person of the week this week, and we're going to pick our Cinema Central biopic. Um, with me, as always, is Sean Gilman. Sean, how's the Diet Pepsi over there right now? Diet Pepsi? What are you drinking? Diet Coke. Oh, I'm sorry. What the hell? I don't know. I, 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 to me, diet stuff all tastes like garbage, so, you know. No, Diet Coke is like the world's greatest beverage. Well, I'm, I'm a Coke man myself. I mean, you know, I'm one of those people that if I go to a restaurant or something and they, you know, I, I order a Coke and they say, well, uh, is Pepsi okay? I say, no, it's not. And then I will just have water. Yeah. But uh, I, I swear you used to drink Diet Pepsi. No. Did I make that up? Well, yes. You're insane. I, <laughs> my own prejudices are coming out here at yeah. the beginning of the show this that's, week. That's fucked up, man. I am offended right now. <laughs> Well, nothing like a little bit of, you know, fireworks to get the show rolling. You know what I mean? It, it's combative. You know? I am going to protest. <laughs> well, that's good. I, I, I appreciate a Coca-Cola man, um, mm -hmm. even if it's diet. I don't know what's up with that. but well, there's, no, there, there's no sugar. It comes recommended by my dentist. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, at least it's not caffeine-free diet coke which no god to me what's the point of well living? you know the thing the thing about caffeine-free diet coke that i hate the most is the gold can do they still put it in a gold can i wouldn't know for some reason that can always offended me i'm not i'm not exactly sure why like marshawn uh, lynch's shoes what did you not hear about this of course not because you don't like the the football uh, Marshawn Lynch was going to wear gold shoes in the NFC Championship game, and uh, the NFL told him that if he did, uh, he would be penalized, and if he uh, persisted in, in keeping the shoes on, he would be ejected from the game. <laughs> uh, well, that's same stuff has happened in uh, Major League Baseball, where, um, what was that idiot's name? Brian Wilson. Um, you know, he always wore flashy shoes and, like, paid the fine just because he wanted to look, you know... Cool. Cool, I guess, or whatever. And then you look at the rest of them, and you're like, oh, it's not working for you, dude. But anyway, um, we should probably talk about the movies that we're going to be talking about instead of uh, <laughs> Coke and football. Well, yeah. Uh, so let's hear a little clip from uh, Selma. As long as I am unable to exercise my constitutional right to vote, I do not have command of my own life. I cannot determine my own destiny, for it is determined for me by people who would rather see me suffer than succeed. Those that have gone before us say, no more, no more. That means protest. That means march. That means disturb the peace. That means jail. That means risk. And that is hard. We will not wait any longer. Give us the vote! We're not asking, we're demanding. Give us the vote! Okay, that was a clip from the new film Selma. Came out just a few weeks ago, um, directed by Ava DuVernay. Um, Starring David Oyelowo, who um, 
plays Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and it kind of takes the film, unlike something like Malcolm X, which we'll talk about later, um, which kind of tries to get the entire life of, of, a, of a person in, into its running time. Uh, this film pulls kind of like, a, as people have mentioned, uh, Spielberg's Lincoln, where it kind of focuses on one kind of pivotal moment in that person's life and gives you, you know, an overview of how that person, you know, was a person more so than a, a figurehead or whatever. Um, the film is star studded to say the least. Um, to its detriment, uh, I think we could talk about that in a little bit. <laughs> um, but I mean, everybody is in this thing. Uh, Oprah produce, produced it. Um, she's got a, a small role here. Um, and they're great actors, too. I mean, I'm not trying to dismiss everybody, but it, it, there's a lot of, uh, oh, look who showed up. You know, uh, you get Tim Roth as Governor George Wallace, the very racist governor of Alabama. Um, you've got Tom Wilkinson as the president. Uh, my enemy, Giovanni Ribisi's in there. Um, <laughs> You know, Wendell Pierce from The Wire is here. Um, always good to see him. Common, uh, R&B singer Common is here as well. Anyway, a whole bunch of people in this in this thing. Um, and it, and it, you know, follows the march in Selma, um, trying to get, you know, voting rights for um, the disenfranchised down in the South. And um, the movie's nominated for, you know, several Oscars, but there... It, Correct me if I'm wrong. I haven't been paying any attention. So here we go. Mike jumps into the, the wilderness here. Uh, DuVernay is not nominated for director. Is that correct? It's nominated for two Oscars. Oh, really? Only two? Yeah. That's the controversy, right? Is that a controversy? Yes. that People is. Are, you really are. have been out of it lately. <laughs> My God. I, I, I've been really, really busy. Um, yeah, it's nominated for two Oscars. It was only nominated for Best Picture and Best Original Song. Uh, none of oh the actors, God. none of the actors, not the screenplay, and not the director, most most pointedly, uh, and most controversially. Well, they gave it all to 12 Years a Slave last year, so, you know, they did their part. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, the Academy. Anyway, okay, well, let's talk about that then. Uh, yeah, I clearly had no idea that that was the case. I knew it was nominated for something. I just... <laughs> <laughs> this guy, ladies and gentlemen, in two weeks—no, wait, four weeks—we're going to do our uh, Oscar show, and I guarantee you, by that time, I will know at least who's nominated. I guarantee you that much. Um, so, let let me ask you this question then: uh, of all of the snubs, then that this movie uh, has received, <laughs> in lieu of actual nominations. Um, if you were to bestow a nomination upon this film that it did not receive, which one would you pick? Uh, if I were the Academy, I would have nominated uh, Ava DuVernay for Best Director. Uh, because this is, this is exactly the kind of film that they like to award, and it's really weird that they did not. Uh, for my own awards, as, as you know, Mike, I, I have my own fake movie awards uh the one hey hey hey, hey, hey. they're not fake sean i i i follow your awards just as much as i follow the oscars so you know uh the the one most likely to get a nomination from me is is uh are probably the actors uh uh david oyelowo and and carmen ajogo i think they're both really really good uh, I agree. Uh, I, 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 um, while I'm shocked, yeah, it is shocking that DuVernay's uh, not nominated. 
Oyelowo, for me, makes the movie. Um, yeah, it's it's a really good performance, and it's a, yeah, and it's it's as good in in the 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 quiet moments, and and he's it it yeah that's what makes it an interesting performance is, is all of the moments when when King is not on stage, he's very quiet, he's reserved, he's very confident and and commanding, he's like the presence that every room revolves around. But then when he when he gets up on stage or or actually the pulpit is where he gives most of most of his speeches in the films, he's he's like a whole other person. Mm-hmm. But just as commanding. Just as electrifying, absolutely. Yeah. Um but yeah, he knows he knows how to play each audience. You know, if it's if it's just two people in a room, he knows he knows that he doesn't need to be, you know, fiery and and you know, over the top and that he, yeah, he can just command things with a look or whatever. Um I yeah, think as as a, a point of comparison, uh Denzel Washington's performance in in Malcolm X was was uh if I remember correctly not also, also not nominated for an Oscar, but uh was thought that it should have been. Uh how do you think these two compare? <laughs> to skip ahead that's, a little bit that's a that's a good question uh, and one i've been wrestling with um i think they're both really good they're very different kind of performances um denzel um si- since the movies are so vastly different and, and denzel's movie covers a longer stretch of time he um i think he has to go through more changes in the movie and so his performance is a little more but he was nominated for best actor oh he was well see you don't know anything about but but then but then he lost to al pacino for scent of a woman (laughs) (laughs) oh lordy um god our oscar show is gonna be a lot of fun this year I'm, i'm calling it right now so yeah, I mean, I think they're both fantastic, and I don't want to detract from uh, one, you know, one from over the other one. But um, I don't know. I really do like Denzel's performance in Malcolm X. I think he really does a wonderful job of showing the changes that um, he goes through in his life, and there's, you know, there's so many different um, periods that, he, that are covered, and he's, you know, a cocky dude, you know. Um, hustling and and you know being a you know young upstart and stuff and then to see him at the end of the movie when he's you know been kind of uh you know he's matured and he's kind of come to this you know these conclusions about his life and the mistakes that he's made and stuff um but i don't know i what do you think yeah yeah i agree i think i think think denzel's is probably better but but they're both really good i know i think yeah i mean like i said oyelowo is uh is phenomenal. Um, he really is. Um, and the other, you know, the other actors are great too. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think, uh, I think as you were saying about, about Denzel's performance is, is kind of the, the main difference between these two movies is that it's not about, it's not, it's not King. It's, it's Selma. It's more about what happened in Selma and, and King is a major figure in that than it is about the life of, of Martin Luther King. Right. It's not. It's not a biopic. It's a. It's a docudrama. Right. And you know, I, I, I actually, you know, watching Malcolm X, um, which I will, we'll really delve into this later in the show or whatever. But like that movie, just in terms of its the the way it approaches its narrative, um, feels 
older than you know something like this seems to be the style nowadays i'll be like i mentioned lincoln and stuff and i you know i prefer something like this that doesn't try and cram everything in because the more you try and cram in the more omissions there are um yeah definitely like malcolm x is coming at the end of this cycle of of very big prestige biopics uh stuff like gandhi mm -hmm. uh you know, there there seem to be like a couple of those every year, and and Malcolm X might be like the last good one. Uh, they got they got to be pretty bad after a while, but uh, but yeah, they they don't they they're still making them. You know, the imitation game is is that kind of movie, mm -hmm. uh, and it's terrible. So. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, and I don't know. I don't know that it's just conventions, but uh, what what I think what distinguishes it is 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 like Lincoln. I think that's a great, great comparison is uh, it's as much interested in in the process of the historical event that it's covering as it is in the the personalities and the, the psychological drama of the individual uh, characters in mm -hmm. history, mm -hmm. which I I to me is a much more interesting way to look at history. It's like, there's like the, you know, the great man theory of history where you learn all about Gandhi. And then there's like the process view of history where you learn like the actual events and you see all of the, the little people and all of the little individual decisions and, and how, you know, events come together. And happen. well, it puts you in that time and place a lot better than, than something like, yeah, that's a more conventional biopic where you're kind of watching it, uh, you know, f from the future. I mean, not that, you know, watching this, I mean, obviously watching this movie, you can't help but think about the present day and all of the, you know, same problems that are, you know, we're going through right now and stuff, obviously. But like, but it's, but it feels easier to like, um, relate to the time when, when you do it th in this approach than when it's, like you said, like a, a big, you know, um, glorifying of one person kind of thing, larger than life. Well, um, you're you're getting much more detail about about anything. You're 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 being more specific, and right. and the more the more specific you are, the more the more unique you are, the more relatable you become. It's when you try to be general and and grand and to be uh, related to is when you you know become artificial and not relatable. Yes. Um. <laughs> To, to me, lay down the, the laws of historical filmmaking. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> you came down from the mountain with two tablets, yeah. and that was, that was written on I'm them. Gl I'm glad I could help. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, and that's, and that's what I really like about Selma. That, 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 to me, is by far the most interesting aspect of it, is the, the specifics of the debates about what they're going to do and why they're going to do it. Like my, my favorite scene in the film is when, is when King and, and his people in the uh, uh, Southern Christian Leadership Conference are, are arguing with the, uh, the two representatives of, uh, of SNCC over, over their tactics over what they should do. The, the SCLC has, has just come to Selma. They're going to, you know, draw a lot of publicity, but SNCC has been there for a long time. They're registering voters. They're doing like the day-to-day -day hard work of actually affecting social change. And, and that debate is the most interesting thing to, in, in the film to me is just what is the best way to go about seeking social change? What is most effective? And, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know that I've seen any Hollywood films that really kind of address those issues 
with that kind of uh, respect for the audience's intelligence and, and ability to follow along with yeah, what they're I, arguing about. Yeah, I really like that scene is, is, is a standout. Um, I think I prefer, there's a similar scene where um, when they're jailed um, for um, standing in front of the courthouse, Mm -hmm. or, or the uh yeah the courthouse um and king is having a conversation with one of his uh you know right hand men um in jail and and he's talking about is the way is our approach that what we've been doing for so long is that really the way to go like you know um i think he uses the line like um you know we're fighting for a seat at the table but we don't you know we don't have jobs that pay for the food at the table. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. Sure. Um, which is an extension of the scene that you're talking about where he's questioning his own motives or his own, you know, um, the end goal as it were. And, um, I thought that was really striking and, and very well done. Yeah. And that's um, also, and that's also pointing, pointing to the, the conflict that he's having with, with Lyndon Johnson. Right. Which is another you know, controversial thing about the film that we can get into later. But, but basically is Johnson wants to focus on poverty he wants to move on from civil rights after passing the Civil Rights Act from 19, of 1964. And King says, no, we still need to do voting rights. And voting rights needs to come before the economic stuff. And then after the Voting Rights Act gets, gets passed, uh, in the last couple of years of his life, King will move towards uh, more economic issues. Um, and, and that scene is like kind of setting the stage for that, for his, this change mm-hmm. in focus away from rights to, to kind of improve in the economic situation of, of the poor in America. Yes. And it's, it's, um, I mean, it also gives legitimacy to, to Johnson's point of view, because that's what Johnson's saying is like, we need to, you know, it's not just about, you know, the civil rights. There are like real economic problems that, that people have in the country. Right. Um, and the movie echoes itself on a number of occasions like that, where it, the, the reverse happens later, where, um, Johnson literally parrots um, something that King had said. Um, I think he's talking to when he's having when he's having a conversation with Wallace. Um, he all of the things that uh, King said to him, like in anger over the phone after the you know another senseless death or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, then Johnson kind of throws that back at Wallace, and that's when he makes his, the ultimate decision to you know um, support their efforts or whatever, um, which I find interesting. Uh, a problem with me, uh, tying in with this, uh, I have two problems with this film. Um, and the first one, I'm a little hesitant to bring it up because it's, it's, it's weird to, uh, complain about a movie about one of the greatest speakers of the 20th century, if not all time and say that the, uh, the script is a little flowery at times, but, um, the dialogue and not actually not necessarily when King is speaking, but there are a lot of characters that have um, little mini speeches in the film that uh, are a little too on the nose or too, you know, florid and, and cinematic for my taste. Like it, it kind of takes me out of the movie when when something is expressed so beautifully in a moment um, that it feels slightly false. Um, yeah, I think, I think, I think that's true. I think, I think that's like the real strength of Lincoln and it's why that movie is one of my favorites of, of this kind of film and is because of, of the screenplay by, uh, yeah. Tony Kushner, Tony Kushner. Yeah. Um, I need to rewatch Lincoln cause I, I, have you seen it multiple? I've only seen it the one time. I, I've only um, seen it the once. 
but I, but, I, uh, I really like it. Really the stuck with me. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a, it's a great movie and another you know um, great performance and um, it does kind of tie in with my second problem, which I brought up at the beginning. Uh, this movie and Malcolm X to to a similar degree, not nearly as much for me for some reason, but it was pretty distracting for me um, having all of these faces pop up that I that I know. Um, I don't I don't know the main cast like I didn't know you know David Oyelowo O uh, from anything before and um, which was great and and but you know seeing you know no offense to Oprah but like you know all these people coming out of the woodwork Dylan Baker's in there for half a second uh, Martin Sheen shows up as a as a judge uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. is in there um, yeah I kind of I kind of feel like this was it was like such a, an independent film but that I, I feel like these big stars like paid to be in the film well and I I, <laughs> I can see that argument but that doesn't help in the in the moment of the movie when it's like oh here's martin sheen for half a second it's like when brad pitt shows up in 12 years a slave and you're like you know oh there's brad pitt <laughs> yeah he, he <laughs> produced know? the movie yeah, uh he produced so, this too, so but, here's yeah. my my embarrassing uh confession about uh about selma i uh, i didn't recognize oprah wow really yeah oprah's one of the most uh recognizable human beings on the planet yep well i i i you know she she's in she's in the opening scene she plays annie lee cooper and it yeah i remember thinking you know she looks really familiar but this is a really great scene that performance is very good and then at the end of the movie it has like the the list of the cast and i'm like huh and i i mentioned it i mentioned it to to my wife who was sitting there i'm like i didn't know that was oprah and she's like oh my god what is wrong with you (laughs) Um, is that, I mean, that's okay. I mean, I think Oprah actually does a really good job. I'm not, I'm not, um, Oprah's, you know, Oprah's a good actor. She's, she's really good in, in the color purple too. Yeah. I'm not dismissing that. It's just for some reason, you know, for me, her fame and, and, you know, her, her face is so recognizable that, um, yeah. you know, even there's a, you know, there are a couple of really strong, you know, dramatic moments in this movie involving Oprah, but while it's happening, I'm like, it's Oprah while it's happening, which, you know, yeah, it, see, I did, I did not have that problem because well, I that's did great. not recognize Oprah. I couldn't place common. Like I, I knew I'd seen, I knew that face, but I was like, yeah. who the, like that was, that was another distracting thing where it was, it was, uh, a see, of- I, I knew it was common because he was one of the few people who got Oscar nominated for this film. <laughs> Wait, Commons nominated for oh for the song. Yep, <laughs> I was gonna say of all the performances in this movie, uh, <laughs> that was that's a weird no, one. To, no, no, not not for his acting. Okay, for his uh, song. Yeah, see, I, if I had paid attention, maybe I would have known that. But, mm-hmm. um, but, but uh, let's talk about Duvernay for a second, uh, if we can. Um, sure. I do some of the choices that uh, she makes here. Um, are really strong. I like um, the way most of the movies framed in pretty tight close-up shots of either one or two shot kind of things, um, which makes the moments when the camera pulls back, particularly obviously when they're crossing the bridge and stuff, when the when the camera decides to open itself up, it makes those moments uh, much more profound. You know, because um, a lot of this is like you said, um, backdoor kind of um, negotiation or, um, you know, strategic, strategical, you know, planning and stuff. And so it's usually very tight and stuff. Um, and then to have those, those expansive moments, uh, work really well. 
Um, and then the scenes of violence um, are, I mean, really, really visceral and, and well done, um, particularly uh, the beginning, the, the bombing, the uh, four little girls. Um, yeah. Sequence. It's, a, I, I thought, I thought that sequence was a little, uh, portentous, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's horrifying as well as, as it should be. So yeah, I mean, I was a blubbering baby. You know, it, it definitely like sets, sets the stage for what is to, what is to follow. Yeah. Uh, I like, I like, uh, the, the color palette of the film how it's it's not it's not quite like a like a sepia or anything but it's it's kind of drained out a bit it's it's kind of pastel-y it's it's old but it's not it's not so much that it's like really noticeable yeah it's like a faded kind of kodachrome kind of look to it um that, yeah yeah it, yeah it, it fits with the mood and the um yeah, and what it felt like to me was like there's that that opening explosion where where the church blows up and you see like all the dust and you're like going through the rubble and the camera's all the dust and it's the effect is like that dust is hanging over the rest of the film like all of the rest of it is is just you know suffused with the wreckage of this bombing, mm-hmm. which what I thought was a neat little metaphorical effect, but also you know the color was drained before that I think so who knows. Uh, <laughs> I think making it up as you go along. Yeah, I I think uh she she had to write the the speeches that uh that the king character gives because they couldn't uh because Steven Spielberg owns the copyright to film versions of Martin Luther King's speeches. So I think she does a really good job of writing Martin Luther King-esque speeches. Well, this so did she did she have a co-screenwriting cuz Paul Webb is the writer. I don't right, know Right, but about. she she's credited with writing the speeches. Okay. Um and I that's actually something that I wanted to point out. Um I think the speeches are cuz I knew that part about it. I knew that they couldn't use the actual speeches. Um but uh damn, they do a damn good job. <laughs> um you know, like those 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 sermons as you said, you know, af- um in the churches, you know, after, you know, another, another death or whatever. Um, I mean, when he really plays the, the showman or, you know, brings out the, you know, the fire and brimstone, so to speak, um, are really effective. Um, and, and his performance really nails it too. Yeah. As we said. Uh, let's see. Uh, do you want to, do you have an opinion on, uh, the portrayal of, of Lyndon Johnson. Have you followed um, this, this controversy at all? Uh, former, former staffers for Lyndon Johnson who are now like in their eighties think that this movie, uh, paints him as the villain. I don't think Johnson's the villain here at all. Um, I think he's very pragmatic. I think, um, you know, he's a politician, you know, so, uh, you know, it, that, occupation is going to be you know is freighted with you know a bunch of uh you know problems so to speak but um i i don't think johnson comes through this um as as the bad guy um yeah i think i think uh i think she does a a really good job of of kind of voicing his side of the argument of you know the the difference between between king as an activist and and johnson as as president he's got he's got more issues king can just focus on one thing he can't do everything at once he's under you know certain political constraints but on the other hand it 
does kind of imply that he told J. Edgar Hoover to tell Coretta Scott King about Martin's affairs. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't come out and say I mean, it, but but it you know at one point like King has done something to piss Johnson off, and he's like, "Get me J. Edgar Hoover," and then the next scene is 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 Coretta getting these these phone calls about you know with with this this evidence of King's misdeeds. Right. Yeah, that's true. But but the movie um, then like those misdeeds don't really. Um, do too much damage in 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 the way the the movie plays out really i mean it's not like uh you know that's like a speed bump on the way to you know um yeah and i th- i think that's that's kind of a flaw in the film it's like that the plotline doesn't really go anywhere like it doesn't it doesn't really give us any new insight to king or or to either king uh coretta or martin uh it's it's there. It's dramatized, but it doesn't really impact Selma. It doesn't. Not so much. There's a, there's a couple of little moments later in the film, um, like it, it's that, stuff that that belongs in a more traditional biopic. Yeah, except for the fact that this that scene in, the scene in question, uh, I think, is really really strong, and I think. Um, yeah, it's it's like your Oscar reel scene. It's like this is why I should get best supporting actress. Yeah, and, and, well, and also I think that the way that it's framed, I think I, I think it it kind of a you know sidesteps some of the hokum you would get in a in a more traditional film with it. You know, um, when she asks him, you know, when she kind of gives her speech or whatever, and she says, "Will you just be honest with me?" Um, and then in my head. You know, maybe this is just me, but you know, in my head, she's going to ask the question, "Did you sleep with these women or whatever?" But instead, mm-hmm. she says, "Do you love me or whatever?" Um, and that was kind of that was I thought that was well played. It was a good shock. Um, yeah, and, uh, they're, you know. they're 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 strong scenes, but they don't they, they don't, don't really... inform the whole. I, yeah. I understand. I understand. But is that? truly a flaw i don't know i i don't know if it really is i know it, um, it, it it seems to me like if if she had left them out then critics of the film would complain that martin luther king was a womanizer right so it seems like a so like you a, think it was just covering covering her ass it's like a preemptive thing it's like yeah, yeah i'm painting the full picture of this guy he wasn't a saint mm-hmm. which i to and maybe it's just my skewed perspective, but to me, the two are not related at all. I don't really care if he was faithful to his wife. I don't really care what his relationship to his wife was. Um, Other than yeah. the fact that you know, I like I like that when when she is when she is an active character in the story, and I think it's interesting how he kind of does not want her to be. And and you know Coretta Scott King would go on to have a, a much longer career as a, a an activist than than Martin did for obvious reasons. But uh, I, I like her her meeting with Malcolm X. I thought that was a really interesting scene, and especially in in contrast with with Spike Lee's movie, in which the scene doesn't uh, doesn't take place. Right. Uh, yeah, well, and also the, I mean, see, this is what I'm thinking of is like the aftermath of that scene when, uh, when he is suddenly jealous, you know, um, when she goes to him and says, Hey, I talked with Malcolm X and, 
he turns it into a um a romantic thing you know i i don't think that's what is implied there i think i think he's i think he's he's he doesn't want her to like infringe on his role as the leader of the movement well i think i think he's jealous of his power i think he's jealous of himself as a jealous man i really do yeah Um, but I, i don't think he's like sexually jealous of malcolm x well maybe Malcolm especially, those, especially know, maybe if it was glasses. like maybe if it was Denzel Malcolm X, but but this Malcolm X is not <laughs> is not a threat. Well, no, he's clearly not. A, I mean, he's not like to the audience and to Coretta, he's not a threat, you know. Sure. But it, but I think that uh, the way that um, King, you know, reacts in that situation kind of um, plays off of the. Um, you know the the dynamic with Coretta in terms of their relationship and stuff, and uh, I think it does tie into their romantic life in to some degree. But you know, right. so it yeah, goes. <laughs> I, I I wish I wish there was more of of Malcolm X in the film. I mean, obviously he uh, he got killed, so there yeah. there couldn't have been. But it just kind of cuts from that scene to Malcolm or to to Martin lamenting that that Malcolm had been killed. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it does. It it's another thing that doesn't really go anywhere, but it adds, you know, a bit of color to the movie to make a, a racist pun. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Sean, we'll have three hours and fifteen minutes of Malcolm X to get to uh, later in the show, so yeah. you'll you'll be covered on that. Um, well, that's our discussion of Selma. Um, this is probably. You know, we've been talking about a lot of movies that, um, you know, are kind of off the radar lately. I think this is probably the most popular film we've talked about in a while. <laughs> so, uh, at, at least since Golden Chicken. Yeah, well, <laughs> clearly. Um, anyway, so we're going to take a little break right now. We're going to listen to some Odetta because um, Odetta rules. And uh, this is Hound Dog Blues. Lift up your long head Bear the moon Potato and an old 
Odetta does rule. I just love, I love that song. I love the ending of that song um, where she just howls and uh, it's like so infectious. It's like the most punk rock thing in the world. Um, Absolutely. Uh, she's great. Uh, so this is the, the part of the show where we talk about the, the news, the things that everyone have been talking about over the last couple of weeks. So, so let's see. Uh, everyone's been talking about uh, the Oscar snubs for Selma, which, uh, Mike, we've already discussed you know nothing about. Uh, <laughs> people have been talking about American Sniper, the Clint Eastwood film. Uh, have you seen it? No. Uh, people have been talking about the new Michael Mann film, Black Hat, which is amazing. Have you seen that one? Nope. Uh, and the Sundance Film Festival started today. Do you have an opinion on Sundance? Nope. <laughs> okay. Uh, so let's talk about our new website then. Yeah, let's talk about us, huh? <laughs> so why don't you uh, tell the people what we're doing? So uh, this baby is uh, its experimental. We're... Um, <sighs> So we live in Seattle and surrounding areas. Sean lives in, uh, you know, the bastard stepchild of, of Seattle, Tacoma. And um, Tacoma's much, much cooler, smaller, younger brother. Yeah, there you go. Sure, whatever. Um, and, the, you know, we have a lot of uh, movie houses. You know, we've got the, you've heard us talk about them on the show time and time again. There's the Grand Illusion, the Northwest Film Forum, SIF, uh, the Seattle Art Museum, all kinds of really cool places to see movies. The problem is, is that finding out what's playing in those places can be a little difficult. Um, you know, IMDb lists some of the movies playing at some of these places. Google does some of them somewhere. Um, but not everything. There's not a comprehensive place for art house or international or repertory film in Seattle and surrounding areas. So you had the bright idea of ripping off... Um, a website called Screen Slate, which does um, kind of comprehensive listings for New York City. And I said, hey, what the hell? I'm always down to rip somebody off. So um, we, along with uh, our friend Seema, um, are kicking off this uh, website called uh, seattlescreenscene.com. And uh, it's going to do that. It's going to be updated uh, weekly. It's going to have the listings for all of the local um, special, you know, screening stuff, you know, you're not gonna, we're not going to list, um, you know, something that's playing at every multiplex in the city, but you know, if there's the Frankenstein festival that's at SIF right now, or, um, you know, naked lunch is playing at the grand illusion, uh, like an art house film that's only playing on one screen, like a, a girl walks home at night is right now playing only on one screen in Seattle or, right. or goodbye to language or something like that. Exactly. So we're going to we're going to compile all that stuff weekly, have it in a nice digestible form on the website. Um, and then in addition to that, we're going to write we're going to have our featured pick um, of, of the week, you know, suggesting go check out, you know, uh, Goodbye to Language, for example. Um, and and then we're going to have some write ups. We're going to write essays on, you know, some of the movies if we've seen them or a preview if we know the director's previous work. Um and, you know, my goal, my specialty, my attempt will be to try and get some Seattle film history stuff up there, like uh, interviews with, you know, you know, important people in Seattle, um, like Stephanie from Cinema Books and stuff like that. So, you know, it, it's definitely a targeted niche kind of website. If you're not in Seattle, I don't know. I mean, unless you want to hear our, you know, more of our opinions about movies, <laughs> which, hey, 
if you're already an hour into this damn show, maybe you do. I don't know. Um, you can go there too. Um, but I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And you know, you we've we've done about two weeks worth of work on it so far, um, just trying to get the site ready to go live and you know have at least a little bit of content up there. Um, yeah, and, and hopefully it'll be it'll be going live uh, sometime sometime this week. Hopefully, hopefully by Monday. Yeah, hopefully by the time people hear this show, because <laughs> that would be pretty stupid uh, if it wasn't up by then. Well, um, it, it, it it should be up soon. We got <laughs> all 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 three of us have uh, have jobs that keep us very busy, so you know it's a it's a juggling act to try and and do all this, especially when we're also doing podcasts and writing our own weird shit on our blogs, but. Yeah, it's 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 a juggling act, um, but you know, I, but I think it will serve a good you know service um, for the area, and I and I hope people like it. I hope people look at it um, because it's something I would have you know really wanted to be around for the last ten years, <laughs> to be quite honest with you. Yeah, because definitely. you know, There's... oftentimes stuff like uh, Seattle Art Museum stuff, or like when Cinerama does their Cinerama festival, um, you know, like the seventy festival and stuff. It's never mentioned anywhere. Yeah, and you know, uh, I've I've been talking to people who who say, uh, you know, AMC's been doing the uh, we we talked about Don't Go Breaking My Heart too, uh, and the Taking to Tiger Mountain that that played at the AMC theaters. Apparently, they've been doing that for years, and I never had any idea that they were playing, you know, Chinese movies in theaters. I, I've talked to people who saw uh, Choi Hark's previous film, which is really good, and I only saw it on like Netflix. But yep. it, yeah, I, well, I would have gone to see it in the theater, but I, I never knew it was playing. So, so we're you know we're you know selflessly doing this work, and I hope uh, you know I hope people check it out. I hope people like it. There's going to be a Twitter thing, right? You, yeah. you register to Twitter yep. account, um, and a mailing list. We'll do. We're gonna have a mailing list, so you can just get it deposited all in your inbox and stuff. So yeah, it'll if, be like a, a newsletter just with the listings every Friday morning. So if you listen to this show, um, you know, this is a little plea. You know, this is the only time we're really going to go out there and ask you people to uh, help us out. Well, at least for now. I don't know. We should we should ask for more stuff, Sean. We, why don't we ask for stuff? We should ask for stuff. Because we, we routinely violate copyright multiple times <laughs> every episode. <laughs> oh, boy. That's why, that's why I record this, like, in a closet, like, hidden in my house. Don't, don't you remember what Prince said to you? I, yeah, I know it was, that was rough. Uh, I, I got my licks, you yeah. know, but, uh, yeah. So, but if, but if you listen to the show and, and you like, uh, kind of where our heads are at in terms of this stuff, um, go check out the website and, uh, you know, we love feedback and, um, suggestions yeah. And, and there's that. other people there too. It's not, it's not just us. There's, there's SEMA and, and hopefully, uh, our friend Matt from, from Scarecrow is going to find some time to get involved since all of this was his idea in the first place. Um, and then, you know, maybe, maybe some other people in the future and, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that can be done with a Seattle focused film website. So this is, this is where we're starting from and hopefully it can, you know, grow into something over time. Yeah. And then Sean and I can retire, uh, and just let it proliferate on into the future. This is kind of like our Facebook, you know, you and I are the Winklevoss twins, you know, and we're, we're just looking for that, uh, you know. We're looking for the Zuckerberg to come and steal our idea. Yeah, Seema's going to Zuckerberg us. <laughs> I, I can see it right now. Seema's going to Zuckerberg us. That does uh, seem like something she would do. 
So speaking of, of, uh, of selfless, uh, altruistic individuals, uh, let's move on to our person of the week. <laughs> Spike Lee. Spike Lee, everybody. Uh, yeah, Spike, you know, clear choice, I think, for, for um, person of the week. He's, he's a very singular um, personality and, and artist. Um, you know, I, I'll come out on record, uh, you know, saying... I have not seen a majority of Spike Lee's films. I've seen a lot, and I've seen enough to, um, you know, have some, you know, some opinions about Spike. Um, but he's a very prolific guy. He's got, according to uh, the IMDb, there, he's got uh, 63 director credits. Um, you know, a lot of those are, you know, some of those are uh, music videos and TV, you know, one-off TV things. But, sure. um, but Spike does a lot. Uh, you know, he's got his big name movies uh of course malcolm x we'll be talking about in a second um you know the masterpiece that is do the right thing uh, which we'll probably spend the next 15 minutes talking about um and then he's got these these really well-regarded uh, documentaries that he's done he did one on the four little girls uh, that we were talking about earlier um in the selma discussion he uh when the levees broke um about katrina and all those things um and he's doing these weird, like kind of uh, low budget stuff now that I haven't seen. But uh, what's your opinion there on the old Spike Lee there, Sean? I like him. <laughs> I, I like, that was slightly defensive, Sean. I, I do. I I, uh, I I feel like I've known of Spike Lee like all of my life. Like I, I remember him from the uh, the Nike commercials totally. with, uh, with Michael Jordan with MJ. Uh, and that was where I first uh, knew of him. Uh, I think Malcolm X was probably the first Spike Lee movie I saw. Mm. Uh, followed followed not long after by Do the Right Thing. Uh, Do the Right Thing is is of course you know one of the the great movies. It's phenomenal. It really is. And you know, it. I guess it gets talked about a lot, but like I. It does. I think. I think it's, 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 it's kind of moving into its rightful place, as as it gets older. It's it's now it's now more than twenty five years old. I think I think people are are kind of starting to to put it up there with with the all time great movies, which I I think it it definitely belongs there. It's amazing. It, it, I mean, uh, I've it's the Spike Lee movie. I think it's the only Spike film I've seen multiple times and I've seen it multiple times and uh, it's just as powerful on, you know, the third, fourth viewing as it is on the first. And, um, and you know, it's where, it's where all of Spike's for me, where all of Spike's kind of like ambition and intelligence and uh, creativity and all of those things kind of coalesce into like, a you know, a really perfect piece of work that when I say perfect, it's so imperfect that it's perfect. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's such a, uh, interesting movie. It's so conflicted and there's so many ideas going around and it doesn't, it's it's very, it's very much the film of a young filmmaker because it's just bursting with ideas and he's not yet an old filmmaker where he's like, he's not settled into like a, a relaxed phase. I, 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 I don't really know what to make of like the middle period of, of Spike Lee. I haven't seen a lot uh, in fact, I think I've only seen one thing since Summer of Sam. So, like the last fifteen years, I think all I've seen is is Inside Man. So it's like a huge chunk of his career that I'm I'm totally missing. 
Yeah, I, I'm definitely uh, in the same uh, boat with you on that. I um, most of the stuff I've seen of his is is the early, the first half, I guess I would say, of, of his stuff. You know, school days, do the right thing. Um, I'm a fan of Crooklyn. Um, I think Crooklyn. I mean, it's not it's not perfect or anything, but it's a it's a nice slice of life little movie. That one, it definitely has a following. It's it's one I, I've I've not ever seen. Uh, Clockers, I never liked. Uh, Get on the bus is like a a kind of documentary ish thing about the Million Man March, like actors mm-hmm. going to the the march, which is is okay. It's like a it's like the Million Man March version of My Dinner with Andre. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so it's okay. I like uh, I like Key Got Game and Summer of Sam quite a bit in parts. I think they're both really uneven, but the the good stuff in them is really really good. I I agree. I I really like Summer of Sam a lot. Um I saw He Got Game I think when it came out on you know on video or something. Um and I don't remember much of it at all. Um so I I can't speak to that one as much. But yeah, I there's really strong really strong stuff in Summer of Sam. Um Oh, and also, and and Twenty Fifth Hour is another one that's that's kind of heading towards canonization, at least by a certain segment of the the cinephile world, and I'm not exactly sure why. Well, I think that one was I think that one was like almost instant canonization because of its you know nine uh, eleven you know how close it came on the heels of nine eleven. Yeah, I feel like that one was put on a pedestal. Um, it's okay. Almost immediately. Um, it's 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 fine. It's it's a fine movie. Do you know it's it's based on a novel, and uh, the the screenwriter adapted his own novel. And it's written by a guy named David Benioff, who uh, is the co showrunner for Game of Thrones. That is correct. Uh, and he also wrote the screenplay for uh, the movie Troy, <laughs> which you just watched. Which I we're just not watched. we're not turning this into a Ridley Scott conversation, Sean. <laughs> All right, I'm just I'm just saying. <laughs> But but twenty fifth twenty fifth hour, you know, modern modern masterpieces by the guy who wrote Troy. So <laughs> let's just settle down there on the the canonization. I think. Um, but that's the thing about Spike uh, um, that a lot of people bring up, and I and I agree with it actually. And I think we're we're going to dive into it a lot. I think with uh, Malcolm X, where um, the unevenness is kind of a Spike Lee trademark nowadays, where there are elements in his movies. Even the ones that you know are are you know pretty trifling, where um, he'll pull out a shot that's just staggering in its in its awesomeness. Like it, there, you know, there'll just be something that'll like stop your breath for a second or something, or there'll be something really audacious, you know, um, that he'll throw in there. But then it'll get frustrating because those moments aren't consistent. They're they're not um, there enough. In a lot of his movies, I mean, you know, he's got a lot of great movies, but you know, um, that's kind of what I I feel the consensus is on Spike now is that he's still vital, but he's not, but he's maybe a little too scattershot, or he's you know, uh, not giving it his all or something. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I like the fact that he works so much. I think I think uh, American directors are kind of lazy. <laughs> I think I, th- I really think they should work more, and 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 Spike Lee is one who is always working, and I really admire that about him. Uh, I wish, you know, some someday I should watch all of these movies that I haven't seen, like all all of these documentaries, these other movies. He did like a World War II movie, 
I'm, I was interested in that. I never, I never saw it in his old boy remake. Never yeah. saw it. So I, I feel like incomplete in my opinion of Spike Lee. Like I, I like him, but I, I don't know. Well, I understand. I understand. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in the same, you know, category as you on that. Um, I, I want to see a lot of these movies and, and, some of them have been on my watch list forever. Malcolm X was one that I had not seen prior to this show that I've been um, planning on for for a very very long time. So, yeah, uh, and I've I've been meaning to go go back and watch like his his early, some of his earlier films for twenty five years now. I, I haven't seen Mo Better Blues or Jungle Fever, and I I just haven't gotten to them or School yeah. Days. I have seen She's Got to Have It, which I didn't really like all that much. Well, it's like a student kind of thing. It's you know, it's yeah. rough around the edges. You yeah, know. Um, and I, I, yeah. I was I was very young when I saw it, so maybe I wasn't uh, ready for that. Well, that's my opinion of school day. I saw school days uh, during my school days, and uh, <laughs> I was very frustrated with that movie. So um, I, that's one I would like to revisit because I've I've seen some reappraisals of it, and um, I think I actually might be up my alley now. But but back then when I was sixteen, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> What's yeah. going on here? Yeah. But Spike Spike is a subject for further research. He certainly is. Um, well, let's talk about you know. So these movies today on the show, as we said, are kind of biopics. Uh, Malcolm X more so than Selma, um, and they're as you said as you also said earlier, um, they are a tired convention nowadays for the most part with your. Um, Imitation game type stuff, uh, the theory of everything movie, and and all you know all those movies. There's always a few every year come through the pipeline, and they kind of hit the same tired beats, and they get uh, nominated for the same awards, and they get get immediately forgotten by everyone. Exactly, Um, but let's talk about our picks for ones that maybe transcend those uh, trappings and and that uh, actually you know achieve some greatness. So if if you had to pick the cinema essential biopic, Sean, what would it be? What and and like what distinguishes it from the pack? Uh, well, it, as I'm sure will surprise you, I'm going to pick a movie from Hong Kong, <laughs> and that is uh, Stanley Kwan's 1992 film Center Stage, starring Maggie Chung as the Shanghai film star Ron Ling Yu from the 1930s. And uh, it's, you know, mostly covers her life. It doesn't like start from her birth and like have cover her childhood or everything, but basically her life as a public individual, her her time as an actress. Um, But what distinguishes it are uh, these, these segments intercut throughout the film of Maggie Chung herself being interviewed about her thoughts on the character and her, she and Stanley Kwan talking about what they think about this character that she's playing and how her kind of opinion of her changes through the process of making the film. And the, the, the film itself is split between, between actual like dramatized events from her life and recreations of her performances in the films with Maggie Chung playing the parts and the onset stuff, but it's also like the actual stuff that we see in the film re redone. 
So there's all of these these weird levels of of history in the film. There's history that you talk about, there's history that you reenact, and there's history that you recreate. So it's it's a it's a fascinating movie and and more people should see it. Well, you know, the the I think the first rule if you want to make a successful biopic is uh get Maggie Chung, you know. She could she could have played Martin Luther King, you know? I mean, yeah. she I think she would have done a hell of a job. Probably. She's, she's really really good. Uh well, my pick um I had a couple of ideas, you know, going with it. Um you know, I as we said earlier, I I like the biopics that uh you know kind of show the warts and all, and, and you know, aren't these kind of um, deifying kind of things. And so, you know, I like, and I know I'm more of a fan of this than you are, um, Raging Bull, which uh, mm. I think is a, is a really ugly movie, um, but intentionally so, and I, and I, I find it fascinating because of that. But um, but actually, I'm going to go with uh, a Lincoln film, and it's not Spielberg's. It's it's John Ford's Young Mr. Lincoln, which um, does the same thing. Um, as actually that and uh, Selma to a degree where it focuses on just a period in someone's life. And and the, the most interesting thing about young Mr. Lincoln is that it's when he's young. It's before any of the stuff that we all know um, in terms of the life of, you know, the 16th president. Um, and it's just Henry Fonda being a very, you know, uh, calm and... Uh, you know, wise beyond his years, uh, young, you know, lawyer coming up. Um, and it's just, it's such a, it's, it's such a, like, like Selma, it really puts, it puts you in a time and a place and John Ford just does it effortlessly. Um, and it's actually one of my favorite films of his, um, yeah, the, it's great. <laughs> the, the, the first half of it is, is amazing. Like it's, you get the 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 weirdness of Lincoln, how he just doesn't fit in to his community, and also this kind of deep deep sadness that's so you know, efficiently expressed in just a couple of shots by Ford as he's uh, Lincoln is talking to his girlfriend and they're walking along the beach, and then it's just like a cut and he's talking to her gravestone, right? And it's there there are just these these really special moments in the film. Like he's, uh, he's at a ball with, uh, with Mary Todd and it's when they're kind of first starting their, their relationship. And at one point he just wanders off to a balcony and just kind of stares out at the window. And it's, it's, it's just amazing. It like sends chills up your spine. It's great. And then the second half is, is like a comical courtroom sequence with like Lincoln holding off a lynching yeah, of, of, it- of white people. But well, but still, what are you gonna do? <laughs> yeah, so it's 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 it, yeah, it's it's one of Ford's best. It is sure. a really it's a it's a very very great movie with a great performance at its center too. I think Henry Fonda's uh, never been better. Really, I, I mean, he's been he's been as good. I would say, and you know, I like I love his uh, his Wyatt Earp too. In uh, you know, if you're going to talk about another kind of biopicy movie um, from John Ford, um, My Darling Clementine. But yeah, I, Young Mr. Lincoln is is a great great film. Yep. So let's go into our second film now. Um, this is Mr. Spike Lee's uh, three hour and I think it's like thirteen minute long film from 1992. Uh, we'll only listen to. 
uh, one hundredth of that right now. Um, but here's a clip from Malcolm X. So I'm not here this afternoon as a Republican, nor as a Democrat. Not as a Mason, nor as an L. Tell us what you here for. Not as a Protestant, nor a Catholic. Not as a Christian, nor a Jew. Not as a Baptist, nor a Methodist. In fact, not even as an American. Because if I was an American, the problem that confronts our people today wouldn't even exist. So I have to stand here today as what I was when I was born. A black man. Before there was any such thing as a Republican or a Democrat, we were black. Before there was any such thing as a Mason or an Elk, we were black. Before there was any such thing as a Jew or a Christian, we were black people. In fact, before there was any such place as America, we were black. And after America has long passed from the scene, there will still be black people. I'm going to tell you like it really is. Every election year, these politicians are sent up here to pacify. They're sent here and set up here by the white man. This is what they do. They send drugs in Harlem down here to pacify us. They send alcohol down here to pacify us. They send prostitution down here to pacify us. Why, you can't even get drugs in Harlem without the white man's permission. You can't get prostitution in Harlem without the white man's permission. You can't get gambling in Harlem without the white man's permission. Every time you break the seal on that liquor bottle, that's a government seal you're breaking. Oh, I say it, I say it again, you've been had. You've been took. You've been hoodwinked. Bamboozled. Let astray. Run on muck. This is what he does. All right, so so Spike Lee's Malcolm X, as we've we've discussed already, uh, stars Denzel Washington as the guy, and it is a very <laughs> very traditional biopic. It uh, it kind of starts with his youth, and we follow him throughout his life until his untimely death, and we see the various events dramatized. We see all of the big speeches. Uh, we see kind of the formation of his character and his persona as an activist and just kind of what happened to him. It's, it's very traditional in its form. Uh, and it's kind of boring. The first hour of the film is, and if you're not familiar with Malcolm X's life, you, you should be uh, the first hour of the film uh, follows his life be- when he's a young man before he goes to prison. Uh, there are there are flashbacks to his youth where his family was terrorized by the Klan, and uh, in particular, a, a great scene that that also really stands out in in the book. Um, it's based on Alex Haley's uh, the autobiography of Malcolm X, um, where where he's like a ten year old kid in school being told that that he shouldn't want to be a lawyer because colored people don't be lawyers. He should be a carpenter. Jesus was a carpenter. And it's it's like the most like heartbreaking thing in the world as you see like this little boy's like dreams just get crushed and that's just kind of what happens to to Malcolm for the first hour of his life is he falls into into petty crime uh, he uh, hooks up with a West Indian gangster played by Delroy Lindo uh, who was a numbers runner 
he gets into uh, he flattens his hair with Spike Lee. He dates white women. Uh, he starts uh, uh, breaking an entering ring and finally gets caught and goes to jail. And then the Malcolm X that we know begins to form. He has this uh, jailhouse conversion where he's uh, 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 persuaded to join the the Nation of Islam. He learns uh, all about this new religion, this new ideology of black nationalism. And when he comes out a half hour later, he is the public figure that we've recognized, this extremely eloquent, well-spoken, uh, very, uh, very direct and uh, confrontational uh, activist. Yes. Yes. That is true. Uh, <laughs> and then the rest of the film is basically like a greatest hits of Malcolm X. There's lots and lots of speeches, lots of montages of speeches where you get like the punchline that everyone knows, like the chickens coming home to roost or we didn't land on Plymouth Rock, they landed on us and so on and so on. Uh, and then you have his falling out with Elijah Muhammad for various reasons, his trip to Mecca, then he comes home and he gets killed. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I, I liked this film in 1992 when I saw it. I read the book before the movie came out, and then I saw the book, and then I saw the movie. Uh, I liked it, uh, but at the time, I, didn't, I wasn't sick of the biopic genre yet. I hadn't seen a bazillion of them, uh, and they're all kind of the same. And, and I'm extremely alienated from the genre now. To, to say the least. I, I do not like these films. And, and the reason is they, they, they seem, their intent seems to be uh, designed to just be like a Cliff Notes version of the person's life. It's like, hey, remember when he said this? Wasn't that cool? And they don't ever really give any insight into the character. Now, I think I think Spike is is trying here. I think that's why he spends a full hour on the 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 pre public figure uh, aspect of his life. But I don't know that it really that that section informs the second half of the film in the way that it, it does much better in the book. Um, I think context plays a little bit plays into this a little bit. Um, I think. At the time, I, I think this movie is fascinating um, from a nuts and bolts angle because I feel like in 1992, this movie was a big deal. Like it was, it was, it was a big deal that uh, a, you know a young brash black filmmaker who was coming off of a very controversial, well respected but very controversial set of films, including Do the Right Thing and stuff, um, was going to tackle. Uh, an incendiary kind of, you know, even, you know, decades after his death, um, this incendiary figure, you know, there was all this concern about when Do the Right Thing came out that it was going to incite riots and stuff. And and I think at the time, 92, early 90s, um, you know, with um, Rodney King and all that stuff, which we can talk about in a minute, um, th that the idea that this was good, that this was going to be a movie that was, you know, going to be playing multiplexes was was still a bit of a controversial thing to do at the time um and i think that spike maybe in a, in a, in trying to you know lay some of those fears or, or kind of just like um tamper down on on some of it 
he made a safer movie than I would have liked him to have done. I, like, yeah, the, I think, the, 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 I think, I think you make a great point. Like the late eighties and early nineties were a really volatile time for, for black, black activism in the United States, especially in the, in the arts you have like, uh, NWA and, and, uh, and ice T and, uh, uh, All these angry black men. Yeah, angry black men. You know, there's there's this great fear in the white media of of people like Spike Lee and 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 Chuck D and, and Ice Cube and and Malcolm X, uh, who who they all kind of look to as as an inspiration. And you saw it, you know, in the uh, in the months before the film was released, the the hat for the mm-hmm. film was everywhere. You know, a, a black hat with a white X on it. Which uh, maybe the uh, younger listeners in our audience don't remember, but uh, it was huge. But but me as a sixteen-year-old uh, white kid in the suburbs really wanted one of those hats. <laughs> I'm going to get you one for Christmas this year, Sean. I'm going to bring your. I'm going to make your dreams come true. Yeah, you better wear the hell out of it. Oh, I, um, I, I would. And so yeah, so I think that yeah, think, and well, sorry, sorry, um, no, you can go. Uh, and this film has almost none of that energy that you would get from like straight out of Compton. Like there, there is no gangsta in Malcolm X. I think there is, I, I think there's maybe not gangster, but there's, but there is, um, it's extremely tasteful parts of it. But, but, but I, okay. So it, it, for me, actually, I really like the first hour of this thing um, because that's when Spike's filmmaking is at its kind of most um, unrestrained. Yeah. yeah, it's it's really freewheeling in those early shots. Like there's the there's no more Spike Lee of a shot than when you start your three and a half hour biopic about Malcolm X, where you do a crane shot um, in like period detail under like a, a subway tra- uh, like a you know elevated subway car down across the street. And you zoom in on a young black man in a zoot suit, and it's not Malcolm X; it's fucking Spike Lee. <laughs> like, yeah. That to me is the most Spike Lee thing you can possibly do um, with your movie. And there are moments like that throughout the first hour or so um, that are, I think, some really strong filmmaking. And it's fleeting. I'll agree with you on that. Like um, when when Malcolm is in the convertible um, with his white girlfriend, and they're they're making out for the first time. Spike does these series of static shots of different elements of the car um, that no one else would have put into this movie, but it, but it's electrifying. Like it's just, it's, it, he just cuts to the hood ornament for a second and then the the grill of the car and stuff. And it's, it's really cool looking. Um, And he does things throughout. And then there's the shot. I think the best shot in this movie, and it sounds weird me saying it, but the shot of the Klansmen riding off, um, into the giant moon um, after they've like, uh, you know, threatened his house when he was a kid. Yeah. It's um, like the birth of a nation shot. Yeah. It's the birth of the nation shot, but it, that is some ballsy stuff right there um, to put into a movie like this. And unfortunately, and I don't know if it, this may have been intentional. I was thinking about this, like once Malcolm kind of becomes more restrained himself, the filmmaking does too. To its detriment. Like, I think once he goes to prison and once he starts, you know, he joins the Nation of Islam and stuff, then it gets really fucking conventional in terms of the the filmmaking. And it gets like the shots are just kind of, you know, 
for the most part, there's a couple of, of moments, but for the most part, very boring, boringly framed, and and not much movement to the camera, and there's not. Well, there's know, a, there's a lot of uh, like swooping cranes in the montages. Yeah, but like the scenes of like um, Malcolm, ta- you know, talking to you know one of his disciples or or um, you know Elijah Muhammad or somebody like that, they're just they're just kind of flat, and you're kind of like. Eh. Um, and so, yeah, this movie does get boring. Well, I think, uh, and I think that's, I think that's a structural problem with the film because, because he spends so much time on the the pre conversion Malcolm, he has to fit the the public version into into you know two hours. Yeah, less than two hours. He has less than two hours uh, from when Malcolm gets out of prison to when he gets killed. To, to tell to cover all of that story and that should be by far the most interesting aspect of of the story but he can't cover it all and that's why he has to resort to you know just the speeches there's there's zero process detail in this film there are no, there's no debate about about nonviolence versus you know kind of direct action there's there's one scene where he uh engages in like an actual uh uh physical protest against the police and it's not violent uh but it's the only time he ever actually does anything right to protest the rest of his time he's just speaking and that you know that is kind of true to the character but there's no kind of there's nothing about the ideology there's nothing about the the tactics of of his movement of of what he believed in there's there's his conversion narrative and then his realization that this prophet that he's been following uh is not all that right so it's still it it's it's tied into it's structured by the psychology of Malcolm as a character but most of what we see are are his speeches yes so um, it's it's both it's both too long and and not long enough. That's that's exactly what I was going to say. I, this movie should either be ninety minutes, or it should be five and a half hours long. Um, and I, I yeah, I wonder like because because Spike seems invigorated in those early scenes of of just like. Uh, the hustle and uh, you know the um, the zoot suits and the swing dancing and all that stuff. Like, I wonder. I mean, he's obviously he's in, you know incredibly politically engaged. One of you know the most politically engaged you know American filmmaker of you know last you know several decades. Um, but uh, but I wonder, yeah, what where his heart lo- was lying with this movie because he seems to completely just like kind of for the most part, check out um, for, for long stretches of the movie. And, Fortunately, and, well, sorry, yeah. Well, part of that is, is the problem with, with Malcolm as a character is that the most, the most interesting thing about Malcolm X is that he, he changed right. from, from the, a, uh, uh, black nationalist, uh, controversial, uh, com- um, confrontational kind of separatist nation of Islam to once he, once he goes to Mecca and sees what, what, uh, Islam is like as practiced there, 
he's much more open to to Martin Luther King style nonviolent protests, and that's the direction he's going in at the time that he gets killed. And it's 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 fascinating. It's fascinating in the book to to see a, a guy who not only you know will make that that change, but is willing to to talk about it and express it. And when when is the last time you saw a a famous political leader change their point of view on something? Yeah. Yeah, especially that no. radically, and yeah. and and Spike doesn't have time to to go into it. Yeah, he doesn't. He, and, um, and, and you're right. The and book that's, is, and it's part of the problem is because in a, in a lot of ways the the autobiography of Malcolm X, the story of Malcolm X, is the story of a man who renounces everything that had made him famous and everything that he is still known for. Like, you know about Malcolm X today because of those fiery speeches he gave, not because he's the guy who turned his back on fiery speeches. Right. Yeah, and the, and I agree, though. I mean, the book the book is one of the greatest books, uh, you know, on its subject, um, you know, about, you know, civil rights and, and, and you know, um, all, all of these things melded together. I mean, the, the book itself is, is, is really phenomenal. And, you know, it, it's hard to compare the two because there, there's just no doing the book true justice, you know, sure. in terms of that. Um, and there are moments in that book, as you said, you know, I read it, you know, 20 years ago or something like that, but, um, there are moments of that book that come back to me all the time, you know, thinking about that stuff. And, but you know, it's funny is they, the, the things that come back to me are the stuff like, um, you know, conking their hair and stuff, which is one of the first things Spike throws into this movie. Sure. Um, is, is all that kind of stuff. But it's anyway, one, of, it's one um, of like the, the, the great kind of images of, of the kind of pathology that he felt, uh, right. Growing up in, in a, in a segregated society. Uh, there, there's even like a, a line. I'm not sure if it's in the book, but it's it's quoted in the in the narration about how he's uh, he he feels like an invisible man, which is another great book. Well, uh, that book is. I mean, Ralph Ellison. That's, yeah, that's one of the best books ever written about anything ever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but and anyway, also so, you know, like totally unfilmable. But well, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Um, fortunately, as I was going to say. The movie at least is watchable, even in its boring patches, because of Denzel. Like mm-hmm. um, Denzel gives a hell of a performance from beginning to end in this thing. I mean, he really—it's—it's it's a it's a tightrope walk, and and he he gets he gets every uh, period of of Malcolm's life down and makes them distinctive as i was saying earlier on the in the selma discussion um i can't think of anybody else that could have done it as good as as, as he does oh not at all uh yeah, he's fantastic i i was i was lobbying for for denzel to be our our person of the week but uh you <laughs> you have only seen two of his films which is insane to me like we did we did a show last week on on jimmy stewart uh I, I think that Denzel is is the our contemporary Jimmy Stewart. He is the guy who can any... do who can do anything. Who has had you know multiple fascinating phases of his career, and I think that in in thirty years, people will look at the the collaborations of of Denzel Washington and Tony Scott the same way we look at James Stewart and Anthony Mann's films from the nineteen fifties. 
that's that's a quite a quite a statement and yeah i and i, mean I would love to argue it with you but uh yeah it's i don't know why i haven't seen any other and and by the way all the denzel movies i've seen have been directed by spike lee so there you go but um yeah what, what, which, I, which is the other one happened. which is the other one uh he got game hey he got game yeah there are so many <laughs> great denzel washington performances and and movies that you need to see I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm I am shocked. I mean, okay. Well, all right. It's it's going to come out right now. I I, I should just say it. Uh, I'm horribly racist. Um, it's not and... even it's not even about that. It's <laughs> this is like you know telling me you've only seen two two Jimmy Stewart movies. I'm like, no, you need to see more. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm 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 actually I'm really I'm really surprised you haven't seen Glory. Because that's uh... Uh, yeah. Well, you've talked about Glory before in the show, and I yeah, I I should see. I, I just watched uh, uh, something by the guy that did that wrote Glory, or the guy. I, I watched. Uh, uh, did hang on a second. Wait a minute. Did he write? Wasn't there a tie-in with Glory and For Love of the Game? I think there's some tie-in with that. And I, I just watched For Love of the Game, which was a terrible movie. But anyway. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm sorry. I, I apologize to Denzel. Uh, I think he's very talented, the stuff I've seen him in, the the four hours of film I've seen him in. It's nothing personal. Um, and I hope that he can forgive me um, because I will rectify that at some point in my life. But. As as we all know, apparently Mike doesn't watch movies because I don't know anything about the Oscars. I don't know anything about anything that's going on right now. You know what I have been watching a ton of, though? Looney Tunes. I just got the Looney Tunes box set. So I've been watching a lot of cartoons. <laughs> yeah. Denzel's not in any cartoons, as far as I know. He is not. And that's that's a failing on his part. So take that up with him. Yeah. You should, you should watch the Tony Scott films, at least. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure. I'll do it. I'm not against it. <laughs> well, this conversation uh, kind of went off the rails, didn't it? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just so appalled. I, there, there should be protests That's in the fine. street I mean, about you having only seen two Denzel Washington films. Are there any final thoughts that you have? You know what does work though for me? The ending of this movie. The should I say, seventy five percent of the ending of this movie um, after. Uh, you know, he is slain. Um, there's this montage of, of actual footage um, of Malcolm X. Yeah. Uh, that's cut together. It's, it's a, it's an amazing heartbreaking. I mean, I was in tears uh, short film that, that is thrown in here um, at the end of this movie that um, is, that's where all of the life of this movie is, is, is in that like, five minute sequence of of all of these shots of him um and with his with his actual words being spoken over it and stuff well it's um, it's uh the words are are Ossie davis reading the eulogy that he gave at malcolm x's funeral right so it, it's me. it's a uh, pardon me it's the guy reading reading his own eulogy from 27 years earlier and and it's a great speech it and and it even works, and then and it goes from that section uh, to this. You know, the problem with Spike is that he 
he sometimes goes a little too far. Like he does something amazing and then he kind of pushes it a little too far. Um, cause then after that, we get all of these kids standing up saying I'm Malcolm X, mm-hmm. um, which I like, actually, I kind of like it, but, uh, but then he, then beyond that, he brings in Nelson Mandela, um, who, Hey, I love Nelson, no, no, Nelson Mandela, <laughs> but it's like, Oh God, like, not Nelson Mandela again. <laughs> um, he just, he had such a strong finish and then he keeps trotting these, like he does this. And then after Nelson, then he starts throwing in all these celebrities wearing Malcolm X hats. And that for me, I was like, damn it, Spike. You had the, you were sticking the landing. You had me, I was in tears. And then I'm seeing Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson palling around wearing, you know, these, you know, mass produced Malcolm X hats. And uh, I was kind of sad. Yeah, it, it it should have ended with the end of the, the eulogy, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um but, you know, and then and then there's arrested development on the soundtrack. I, I like arrested development. I like arrested development. I do development too. Then. I love him. Uncle Wendell. Yeah. Uh, or Mr. Wendell. Mr. Wendell. Uh, yeah. Mr. Wendell. You know, I yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> um <laughs> It's definitely it's very nineteen ninety two. So nineteen ninety two. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so that's our discussion. Of so, Malcolm so X. did you notice that Wendell Pierce was in Malcolm X? I did. I was going to talk about that. <laughs> um, man, this conversation has just gotten completely messed up. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, who did he play? He's like, is he one of the? Uh... He's uh, when uh, when Malcolm I, I leaves. Didn't see him. Is oh, I saw he's 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 on screen for like a half a second, like, oh, like okay. 10 frames or something. But, uh, there's a, um, it's after he leaves the nation of Islam, he's giving some speech in like a little, uh, you know, community center or something like that. And, um, someone shouts, there's like a heckler in the audience that shouts something okay. and makes everybody turn to look and it's Wendell Pierce. And then he runs out and that's the last time you see him. Okay. Uh, but I was like, bonk, what's he doing? <laughs> like, I was glad to see that over the last 20 years, uh, Wendell Pierce has, you know, moved from, you know, trying to bring down Malcolm X to, to, to propping up to, to work Martin, Luther King. Martin Luther King. Yeah, uh, he's, he's run the gamut. <laughs> anyway, right. so that's our discussion of Malcolm X. Which um, was which was too long and didn't go anywhere and <laughs> probably should have been cut. Probably should have been cut. Um <laughs> We're going to listen to some Nina Simone, because uh, like Odetta, Nina Simone totally freaking rules. Uh, this is her uh, probably most famous song uh, for women. And uh, boy, does she get angry here. Call me My name is Sweet. Tough. 
All right. Thank you, Nina. That's the end of the George Sanders show for this week. Um, next time around, uh, the Berlin Film Festival uh, is starting right at the beginning of February. Um, and so we're going to talk about some previous winners um, from that festival. That's been How long has that festival been going on? Since the 50s, right? Something like that? Yeah, I think 1951 was the first uh, awarding of the Golden Bear. Yeah, so we're going to talk about two previous Golden Bear winners, one that you have seen and one that I have seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, Jean-Luc Godard's 1965 film Alphaville, which also ties in with our, this is the year of 1965 on the show, if you haven't been paying attention. Uh, and then we'll also be talking about a more recent film, um, A Separation, um, which I have seen and you have not, which is yep. actually kind of surprising to me, Sean. Um, yeah. if you, I, I'm, I'm really bad at watching Iranian films. How dare you, sir? I, Denzel I, and I are very disappointed in I've, you. I've seen a handful of Kiristami, and that's it. So this will be my first Asghar Farhadi film. I'm looking forward well, to it. Well, yeah, all right. It's it's pretty intense. Um, it's been a few weeks since I've mentioned the Castro Theater, uh, I think. I don't know. Maybe I did it last time. Um, what the hell? If you were in San Francisco, January 28th, one night only at the Castro Theater, they're going to be showing a double feature of David Lynch's Lost Highway and a previous George Sanders show selection, David Cronenberg's Videodrome. So if you want to have a creepy night at the movies, (laughs) Castro's your place. That sounds uh, (laughs) sounds disturbing. Yeah, uh, I would recommend uh, being sober (laughs) for that double feature. (laughs) If you don't want to end up in a very weird place. You know, weirder than San Francisco. Uh, right. uh, my, my pick for this week is also our featured film on SeattleScreenScene.com, and that is, now it's technically a repertory film because it's a 2014 film. It's Goodbye to Language 3D. Uh, the latest from, from Jean-Luc Godard is playing at the Uptown here in Seattle, and it played a, a couple weeks ago. You saw it at the Cinerama uh, along with everyone else, and apparently it packed the Cinerama for, for two nights enough that uh, they gave it a, a full week run at the Uptown, which is really cool. So It deserves it. If, it's a great movie. Yeah, if you missed one of the shows at the Cinerama, now is your chance to go and see it. And it is guaranteed to slice your brain in half. <laughs> it certainly is. Um, yeah, it's a great, great, great movie. And... Um, I, I hope more people see it. I hope it, you know, maybe they'll maybe they'll keep it around for a week after that too. Who knows? Um, hey, if it does enough business, so so keep it. That's right. That's how it so works. So go see the Godard movie, people. Yeah. Um. Uh. You can always find us online uh, at the George Sanders Show dot dot com. We're on Twitter at Geo Sanders Show. Uh, and we have an email uh, address, the George Sanders Show at gmail.com. And one more time, seattlescreenscene.com is the place to be if you're looking for film show times in the Seattle area. Or uh, at least it will be soon. Yeah, hopefully. Um, maybe so maybe by the time you're listening to this. Yeah, you can postpone the show a few days. No, no. You're gonna, you have so much editing to do with this show that it's probably going to take you, you know well into february but anyway late night tonight (laughs) um thanks for listening as always uh we appreciate it and uh it's been a while has it been a while i don't know probably i think i always say it's been a while here's george but then it's always been too long 
Really? That's true. That is true. So um, I don't know why I feel drunk right now, but I'll take it. Um, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on the George Sanders Show. Just a kiss, a sigh is just a sigh. The fundamental things apply as time goes by. And when two lovers woo, they still say I love you. On that you can rely. No matter what the future brings As time goes by Moonlight and love songs Never out of date Hearts full of passion Jealousy and hate Woman needs man and man must have his mate that no one can deny. It's still the same old story, a fight for love and glory, a case of do or die. The world will always welcome lovers as time.